I don't know about you, but I have a lot of friends that are going to spend the next uh, week, two weeks, getting their kids ready for university. Uh, either they are going to be traveling across Canada out to the East Coast with their kids and dropping them off at school, or they are just going to get them set up uh, in this province. And I think it's interesting that so many kids are actually deciding to, um, you know, bite the bullet and uh, attend post-secondary education uh, this year, again, in the midst of this pandemic. Why? Because it seems so odd to me. I mean, one of the things that I loved about, um, you know, go- going to, to Ryerson University was the fact that um, there was so many opportunities to be social. And in a pandemic, that is incredibly limited. So uh, there are a few students that are saying here, the, in a, according to an article in the Toronto Star, that they've decided to defer this year's education, defer entry, and put off first year. And they'll just put it on hold for another year. Why? Because the prospect of anything outside of labs being online learning is not something that they find palatable. In fact, a Stats Canada report released Wednesday is projecting a significant drop in admissions, both domestic and internationally, uh, which could translate to a $1.7 billion shortfall for Ontario's post-secondary institutions in this year alone. I'd like to welcome onto the program our next guest just to talk about this. Michelle uh, Foster is a psychologist and co-director of the Toronto Wellness uh, Psychology Group, and she joins the show to discuss uh, you know, this trend in students deferring, putting off first-year university for a year. Welcome to the show, Michelle. Nice to have you on. Hi, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. I, I know that a lot of students last year um, at the beginning of this pandemic decided, uh, I'm going to take a pause, hit the pause button on on learning. But as we realize that this is something we're going to have to live with, I'm kind of shocked that students are uh, deferring school again. Um, you know, there, there are some students, as I mentioned, off the hop that are going to school. But a lot of kids saying, uh, if I have to learn online, I'm going to hit the pause button at least for this year. Is this uh, something that you are seeing a lot of? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of this um, more more frequently now. And I think, you know, it makes sense. It, it really depends on what people need and where their mental health is at. But I think there are a lot of people who are just kind of fed up with learning online, right? And um, really craving more social connection. And I think there's not a ton of clarity from some of the schools around um, what it's actually going to look like. And so it's a bit of a, a shot in the dark for people that they're nervous about. And a lot of time and money, right? That they're they're putting up to to attend school, and they want to make sure that they're going to have the, I guess, the experience that they always imagined. Uh, fear of missing out was a big thing before the pandemic. People had a yeah. FOMO. Now people have FONO. I'm hearing it's it's fear of normal. How many students do you think are are um, putting off school because they're just they're actually frightened of being around crowds again? Yeah, you know, I expected to see a huge spike in anxiety when things started going back to normal. I'm using air quotes that you can't see. And uh, certainly that's been something that we're seeing more and more of. Though I am finding that people adapt pretty quickly. You know, there's some muscle memory there. But um, I also think part of it is, are we ready to go back to normal? Like, I want to go into these lecture halls, I want to do these things. But, 
you know, am I actually going to feel comfortable doing that? And so I think, again, it's, it's a big mix, but we're definitely seeing more anxiety across the board. And I think people are just trying to, to make a choice around whatever's going to work best for them. And it, it's so individual. Right. And how, what's the uptake like, uh, for students that you've been talking to? Are they mainly vaccinated, fully vaccinated? They're heading back to university or, uh, do we have some apprehension there? Cause I know that that, uh, younger, uh, segment of the population were vaccine hesitant. Yeah, absolutely. I think at at our clinic, we're seeing a lot of people who are fully vaccinated. Um, but, you know, there, there are certainly a handful of people that aren't. Um, and if you look online, if you look at some of the commentary, right, you're also going to see people who are saying things like, oh, well, I, I'm not going back to school um, if they're going to require me to get the vaccine. And then you're seeing, I would say, a larger portion of people who are saying I am fully vaccinated and I want to get back. And I understand that that's really what's required in order to do so. But again, Again, you know, there's there's that mix there. Yeah. What what concerns you the most when it comes to uh, mental health of our, our students that are going back to school? <sighs> Lord, I mean, that's that's a tough question. There's so there's so much struggle right now from a mental health perspective. I think people are their baselines just aren't what they used to be. Right. There's less resilience. I think people can tolerate less than they used to. Um, and I think part of what's concerning is just the unpredictability of it all. Right. So it keeps people in this kind of anticipatory anxiety zone where they start getting comfortable with something and then the numbers are rising and they fear about things moving online or not being able to have the usual experiences. So that's that's challenging. And, and it makes um, again, it, it makes people less able to withstand uh, the challenges as they come up. Um, we're seeing more eating disorders, more self-harm and suicidality. I think people are just struggling to um, to cope. And I, I have some concerns, too, about what the schools are able to do to support people with that, right? So I think it's going to require a lot more flexibility on the part of um, accessibility services and accommodations at schools and professors, right, being able to work with individual students to really support them in being successful if they choose to go forward with school. And, and I, I've seen that be a challenge over the past um, year and a bit, for sure. I had one friend of mine tell me that uh, their kid didn't do as well in in a particular subject that they thought they would. And they kind of inquired about it. And the the answer was, well, I was having some mental health issues or struggles at the time. They were floored because they just didn't, you know, there was no sign of it that they could see. So uh, what should parents look out for or what kind of questions should you be, you know, asking your kids um, without getting too... I mean, you have to give them space and uh, the ability to grow up without hovering too much over them. How do you keep tabs on on their mental health and how they're doing if they're not, you know, living in your house? Yeah, again, it's, it's always a tricky balance, that one, right? Because you don't want to pry and you don't want to get be over-involved. But at the same time, you want to make sure they're okay. And one of the things that we say to parents is validation is usually the most important thing. And what that means is, you know, checking in with people and just saying, I know things are really hard. Um, I know it probably feels overwhelming, right? Like listening to, to their words specifically and just trying to repeat back how they're feeling and creating that space without judging or trying to change things. I think that's a big thing, right? As parents, it's really hard to see our kids suffer. Um, it's hard
start to see them struggling with sadness or anxiety or whatever it is. And so we want to do whatever we can to fix that. Um, but actually, we know that one of the best things we can do is to just check in and create that space without trying to change or um, manipulate things on their behalf. So that's probably one of the best things to do. And then, again, just, um, you know, if you see any overt signs, trying to do your best to support them and, and inquire as to whether they could use more um, support, be it through professionals or their doctors or, or whatever, and, and just exploring those resources with them. There, there are a lot of resources available. I know the healthcare system is very stretched, um, and there are still options available. So it's important to, to just keep an eye and have those resources ready. When it comes to mental health, shame is, is uh, you know, a huge barrier uh, to getting help. But I, I think that this, you know, what I've seen with the, uh, you know, university age crowd is that they don't have the same kind of shame around expressing themselves that um, a lot of um, us Gen Xers might have had. Are, are yeah. you finding that as well? Are they are they willing to say, yeah, wait, I'm having some problems here, whether they're telling their parents or telling their um, peer group? Uh, th- that they are just more in touch with their feelings and expressing them. Absolutely. Yeah, we see that a lot more. I, I, what I would have said pre-pandemic is we see people reaching out when they just start to feel a little bit off kilter. Now we're seeing people waiting a little bit longer. And maybe that's, that's because of, um, I mean, it could be a number of things, right? But I think part of it is just limited access to resources. And so by the time people can find things, um, they're, they're not in the best. Um, But we are seeing lots of people reaching out with their parents, which is really, um, really quite lovely. And, you know, I think there are are lots of different supports available, but certainly that generation seems to be a little bit more open to it, which is is positive. Michelle, do you see a difference in in the generation now and like our generation that, you know, I I talk to a lot of parents and and they say, and it would not believe the kids that are dealing with mental health issues now. Um, Do you think we were just kidding ourselves? And a lot of us, uh, you know, had friends or maybe we're dealing with things that we should have sought out some help for at the time that we just, because we weren't having conversations like this, we just couldn't recognize that there was a problem. And we were told to, you know, uh, just move on, get over yourself. I think that's probably true to a certain degree. I wouldn't be surprised if um, different mental health challenges are are certainly popping up more than they used to. I think there are a variety of factors that would contribute to that, right? So we're seeing different types of pressure on people, um, different expectations. If you look at, in particular, like women in the workforce, right? Like there, a lot of people are are building homes and families and also working full time. Um, There's constant social media, different pressures. So I think people are cracking um, in, in a variety of different ways, so to speak. And then you add the pandemic onto it. It's, um, it's, it's really, really tough. So, um, but yes, I think also people are just more willing to talk about it. And there's greater recognition too around the effects of mental health and and long-term challenges that people have. So people are more willing to intervene and and do the things that they have to do. And I mean, if you look, you can see the work of, for example, like Brene Brown, right? A lot of people talk about the importance of being vulnerable and and opening up. And um, I think there are some, I think the tide's turning a little bit about the importance of recognition recognizing our collective humanity and suffering um, and just trying to support one another as best we can, especially through the pandemic. 
Yeah. How important is it? You know, you brought up Brene Brown and, and earlier on, uh, I was telling uh, my producer, Danny Stover, that during my vacation, I had a week off, so I'm a bit rusty. But during my vacation, I got into Ted Lasso. And she is one of the people that was recommending that series um, to stream it on Apple TV early on. And just the positive message. How important are positive uh, messages to our mental health? They are very important. And my caveat would be that you have to find balance. With everything, you have to find balance, right? So it can be super invalidating if somebody just says to you, yeah, you know, it's all going to be good. Everything's okay. Yeah, you know, and they they don't acknowledge that there are a lot of things right now that are very, very challenging. And so you want to find the positive. You want to always find that little kernel of hope, something you can hold on to and, and use to motivate yourself. And it's important to acknowledge that, you know, things aren't absolutely perfect. There are a lot of challenges. There is a lot of pain. And so finding that balance, I think, is is really important. Um, and I think, you know, related to your old question, there are, there are a lot of people um, from the older generations who have trouble, I think, acknowledging that that there are certain challenges. And so they have that tendency to be like, you know, let's move on. Everything's going to be okay. Um, that it's sort of like a form of weakness in some way to, to say that that's not the case. But mm-hmm. um, again, the, the balance is, is key there for sure. Michelle, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate the uh, the insight that you give uh, to this topic. And I don't know if you were calling the Gen Xers the older generation. I'm hoping you weren't. I'm hoping it was the boomers <laughs> above me. Exactly. I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. That. Awesome. <laughs> so Th- let's go with that. All right. There, that's confirmed. <laughs> Michelle, thank you very much. I appreciate your time.